Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Michelle Daniluk, and I'm a professor of food microbiology at the University of Florida, and I'm here today with Chris Gunter. I'm a vegetable production specialist at North Carolina State University. Uh, and welcome to the short series of podcasts. We're put together uh, with the fantastic help and support of AFTO to cover the educational content we'd planned on sharing at the NASDA Produce Safety Consortium's Educators Pre-Meeting Workshop that was scheduled for earlier this year. Instead of trying to put together a webinar or some other online show to recreate the content uh, and the experience that we'd planned to provide at the workshop, we've decided on this short series of podcasts to have organic discussions with our presenters for them to share insights into the science behind some of our favorite topics in the produce safety role. And we're joined on this episode by two fantastic speakers. Uh, the first is Dr. Betsy Bin from Cornell University, and she's the Produce Safety Alliance Director, and also uh, professional engineer Chris Callahan, an Extension Associate Professor of Agricultural Engineering with the University of Vermont. Good to be with you today. Thanks, Chris. So Betsy and Chris, thanks. And we're going to have confused because there's two Chris's on today, but we're just going to go with it, and I'll <laughs> let you guys guess which one I'm talking to. Um, Thanks to two of you for joining us today to talk about sanitary design and sanitation. And I think for any of our listeners that come out of a food manufacturing background or a retail background, seems like something that we've been talking about for a really long time. Um, but it's not something we've been talking about for a long time in produce, or at least it doesn't seem this way. Can you give us a little bit of insight on this? Um, I'll go first. Uh, I think historically, I don't think, historically raw agricultural commodities were exempt from good manufacturing practices. So if you look at um, 21 CFR 110, there's clearly an exclusionary paragraph there that um, exempted establishments that were engaged in harvesting, storing, or distributing one or more raw agricultural commodities. So I think when you think about uh, food processing for a long while, people that handled raw agricultural commodities were just exempt. And I think that did impact how we looked at it as a um, industry. I also think it's important to understand that um, the produce industry is really diverse. So not all of our commodities go into a packing house. Lots of uh, commodities are field packed. Um, and in terms of food safety, the focus in the produce industry has really only been there for about 20 years, a little over 20 years. So in terms of ages, I think, yeah, the, the answer is, I think the food manufacturing um, has been thinking about food safety and has been thinking about hygienic design for much longer than the produce industry for those reasons. Yeah, it, it seems that way to me too. I mean, it's clearly a concept that's been around for a long time. I think probably more widely practiced in um, food manufacturing and processing. Um, but, you know, the reality we see on farms is a far cry from ideal practice. And, and so that, that is really, to me, what's bringing it into, um, into these conversations like the one today. You know, increased scrutiny from audits, uh, OFRRs, FISMA inspections are all really um, putting a spotlight on the fact that many um, growers, handlers, and packers of uh, raw produce really don't have the the equipment or the spaces that um, we might consider ideal. So. so if you look back, is there sort of a defining moment you think in the produce safety or in the produce industry when, when sort of attention of, of sanitary design or equipment selection really 
um, really sort of jumped up as something that we need to start paying attention to? I think, first of all, I think it's, as any industry grows and evolves in food safety, you're gonna get to those items that are harder to tackle. I think certainly in recent history, the 2011 outbreak in cantaloupe really put it on the forefront and pushed it to um, the top of the pile when you looked at how and why that outbreak happened. So I think that is a more recent harbinger of things to come, um, certainly is there. But I think within the produce industry, you got to take care of the things at the beginning. And again, it's an evolution of, of where they're headed. So I think that's my opinion. I think that 2011 outbreak really put it on the map, but I, I think it was coming anyway. I think there's also just this cumulative result of hundreds of conversations following hundreds or thousands of farm visits. Um, and even just, even just conversations uh, with peers you know, where uh, we can all think of and describe um, pieces of equipment or um, pack houses that, that need some improvement, right? And, and describe them to each other. And um, the thing for me is you can only go through so many of those um, and, and point out what's wrong before you need to be able to, before you, you feel it's ne the necessity of saying, what's, what else can we do then? You know, so when do we get to a piece of equipment that actually will 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 improve the situation for this grower or packer? So to to me, it's that there is certainly there are certainly points in time like Betsy highlighted, but I think there's also this cumulative uh, effect of trying to provide technical assistance and education programs and just getting the feedback. You know, if not this, then what? Right, and I also think one of the challenges and you point this out about visiting farms, is every time you visit a farm, you see something slightly different and something slightly new. You see something growers are doing or they're trying or they're innovating. And sometimes those innovations increase risks and sometimes they reduce risks. And I think, um, again, when we look at the diversity of operations and the diversity of commodities that we're handling, we see a lot of very different things and um, tackling the problem becomes that much more challenging. Betsy, I just want to clarify one thing you said earlier on, where you said historically the produce industry has been exempt from GMPs. Es essentially, they are still exempt from GMPs, correct? <laughs> well, um, as you know, the definition of a farm is not entirely settled yet. Um, and so when we talk about good manufacturing as 21 CFR 117, um, there's some wiggle room there, I would say at this point, until that definition of a farm is settled. Okay. Do you, what disagree, I was, do you disagree with that? What I was trying to get you to say, I'll, I'll <laughs> just tell you now what I was trying to get you to say, um, is that if you read a lot of what is in 112 and in the produce rule, it reads very, very similar to those oh, GMPs. Uh, that, yeah. that is true, but, but you didn't ask that question. <laughs> do, you want me, do we want to stop and do you want me to say that? No, I think we're fine. We'll just let everybody listen to me saying what I wanted to try to get you but to so say. I, and well, I think there is a good point. A good point there, though, about you know, it is the um, one twelve really is recasting some standards, right? 
and yeah. I, and I, and I, and I think that is what's putting a spotlight on this, at least in the past three years. So. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly sort of the point I was trying to get across is that, yeah. you know, even if, even if the farm definition falls out that packing houses are all exempt from 117 GMPs formally, a lot of what's in 112 puts a, puts a highlight on this topic area. I think that's true. I think the thing that is difficult for growers with some of the standard as their outline in 112 is there's a lot of flexibility and they don't know how to interpret that flexibility or implement that flexibility. And um, so, yeah, I agree there is, there is overlap, but I still think there's, it's difficult to take some of that requirement and translate it into all these different farms, all these different operations that are handling multiple different commodities. Very good. Um, so I wanted to ask a little bit about, you know, we mentioned hygienic design um, and sanitary design, and I just want to get a definition around that. So we haven't really talked about what it is. Can you give us that? The, the, the definition I, I use and I walk around with is um, intentionally creating or improving spaces or, and equipment so that they can be cleaned and sanitized as appropriate. And it, it seems simple. Um, you know, it seems like it's something that should be readily, readily available. But I think as uh, Betsy's alluded to earlier, um, you know, the, the options available uh, to, to most, uh, most growers, particularly um, below a certain size, um, are pretty limited. Uh, and the equipment clearly hasn't been designed or manufactured with that principle or, or the, the underlying principles in mind. I think too, Chris mentioned this earlier, when we talk about farm spaces and we talk about farm infrastructure, um, you know, different operations are packing outside under a tent or in a dry operation with a dirt floor or in all these very different setups that, that make both understanding the definition and how to deal with the definition a little more, more difficult. And do you think it's possible to achieve uh, sanitary design in those environments that are more open like that? Is it possible to get there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So I think you guys have developed some tools to help people get there, right? Can you talk us talk to us a little bit about those resources that you've got? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with some of the hygienic design resources we, uh, we've developed. Um, Betsy and I, a few years back, uh, had an opportunity to look at this uh, this topic specifically with a uh, a whole produce, raw produce um, lens on and we started digging into what resources existed and many of them were focused on GMPs and the, the processing uh, world um, or, or the food manufacturing world. And so, and, and when trying to apply those to most uh, produce farms and uh, growers in particular, but also packing houses um, and aggregators, there, there was, there's a pretty large gap um, at least for, for many. And so our hope was to translate some of these, principles into a form that would be more actionable and, and readily accepted by, by the, uh, the, the produce uh, grower world. So the first thing was trying to boil it down to, to a handful of key principles. And, and we, we came up with five. 
And those five key principles are ensuring you have visible and reachable surfaces, food contact surfaces, smooth and cleanable surfaces, avoiding collection points or harborage points, um, including or, or building equipment and buildings from compatible materials. And then lastly, uh, preventing contamination. So that last one is, is a, a catch-all uh, for anything we might have missed. It, it does sort of aggregate a bunch. But you know, trying to get down to those five key principles. And then um, we built a, um, a workshop around those, uh, about an hour-long uh, workshop um, that introduces these, the, first of all, the concept of hygienic design, gets into each of the five principles with some photographic examples of sort of what might not what might not meet the principle along a uh, continuum to what might actually meet that principle or might be more aligned with it um, and then we also have as part of that workshop we've incorporated a hands-on exercise that takes a checklist that's associated with the the guide sheet or the fact sheet and that checklist walks through walks the user through the five principles in front of a piece of equipment or in a building uh, in a in a uh, packing house and and it gives them the prompts to apply those principles and rate what they're looking at um, so uh, the the guide sheet the um, and the checklist sort of form a combined uh, experiential learning opportunity for uh, growers and and other educators to to get more familiar with the concepts Betsy, you want to add to that I think it's the important thing when when we talk about a checklist or, or grading the key thing we're trying to get growers to recognize is what does it look like when it is easy to clean and what does it look like when it's not easy to clean and if it's not easy to clean do you have the resources the personnel the time the uh, equipment to overcome that challenge or not and i think what's been most interesting about this checklist um, and working with Chris, who's an engineer, which is always entertaining when you're a biologist, um, is helping growers understand how do you apply it? Where's the value in it? There's value in it in evaluating equipment. There's value in it in, evalu in evaluating your building. There's even value in it in thinking about how you set up a cleaning and sanitation program and where you want that focus to be and where the focus matters to reduce the risk. So it's also helping them identify those risk areas that then they can use a cleaning and sanitation program to address. So that's what I think has been really interesting about using these tools that Chris described with growers. The other key thing about it that, that we've, we've learned uh, in, in helping others get introduced to them is, um, or, or that has been reinforced is we're often focused on the grade. You know, what, what was the overall score of this thing? And the, the point is consider it a snapshot because you're going to be doing another one after you've made some changes. And so it's really about a, a differential, a comparison between one point in time and another point in time. That's one key point that we've gotten for, through evaluations of this work, of this work. And then the other thing is the value of having multiple people from the farm take part in that process. Not every, it turns out not everybody's applying the cleaning SOP the same way, or not everybody knows that a certain panel can be taken off, uh, you know, or, or not everybody's using the same detergent if they're using a detergent. So, you know, using this as a, um, uh, an opportunity to gather around a piece of equipment or in a, in a space that you, that you work in 
as a team and think through it with an hygienic design and a cleaning and uh, sanitizing SOP in mind can really be a, a good opportunity for the whole, the whole business. Yeah, one of the things, I've, I've had the chance to look at the tool and use the tool, and one of the things that I find very valuable about it is comparing pieces of equipment to each other when you're evaluating things that you want to purchase, for example. And, you know, one of the things that I'm sure you guys do and, and many of us who are listening do is as we're walking around a trade show at a produce uh, convention, for example, and looking at brand new pieces of equipment that are out there for sale in the industry, ready to go to growers, um, looking at that from a hygienic standpoint and noticing that, you know, these, some of these parameters are just not being met by this new equipment. Can you talk a little bit about that and how the industry is addressing that? I'll let you go first, Chris, because you, you know I got thoughts on this one. Uh, the short answer is uh, poorly, in my opinion. Um, uh, you know, but I, there is hope. And one of the things, Chris, to your point, yeah, we, we, I walk through the trade shows too and cringe and, um, or show up at a, at a farm where somebody's invested a ton of money in, in a new piece of equipment and just, you know, um, try not to show my, my, my own concerns uh, right away. The, the thing that I've realized again, as part of <laughs> early work in this, in this, um, in developing these resources is the equipment manufacturers, the building trades, the refrigeration trades, they're all educational cohorts too. And I, so I, we have some work to do. And um, so I clear, clearly we need to bring this stuff upstream um, because if stuff is being delivered to the dock of, uh, of a, at a produce farm and it's not meeting these, um, these um, principles, then how can we expect the, the growers to, to be um, aligned with them? So we, to that point, we did just submit a um, USDA food safety outreach um, program proposal that's focused specifically on that. So it's extending the educational programs around hygienic design and cleaning and sanitizing um, to more states, more growers, um, training more trainers, but there's another component of it, which is working with manufacturers directly as an educational cohort and as partners to, to make sure that you know, some of these principles can be better addressed in, in the design and manufacturing stages. Mm -hmm. And I think your point, Chris, about comparing pieces of equipment and, um, and using the tool to do that, I think is really important. Um, Chris and I, on another project, we've been buying equipment. And, and it was quite shocking for us the first time we uncreated a new piece of equipment we had bought and went, whoa, that, that's going to be a problem. Um, and, and it's true. And these are the exact same thing growers are facing in the sense of trying to make a decision about when to upgrade equipment, when you have the money to upgrade equipment. This isn't cheap stuff we're buying, right? This isn't hundreds of dollars. This is $10,000, right? And, um, and so I think again, it's that evolution. We're all moving in that direction together. And I think as Chris pointed out, the key thing that's going to make this successful is that collaboration. We all have to have a vested interest, the manufacturers, the growers, the extension educators, the regulatory personnel, um, because it's a, it's a process that we're all moving forward with. And I think that's the very hopeful part is that I do see, Chris and I have talked to different manufacturers 
And people are interested. The manufacturers are interested in the discussion. It's not that they're disinterested. I think sometimes they just don't know what those expectations are. As Chris pointed out, they're their own educational cohort and there needs to be work there. I think there also sometimes are competing, um, what I'd call competing design goals. I mean, they're not necessarily, the guiding principle for them is not selling a piece of equipment that's easy to clean. It's selling a piece of equipment that cleans produce. And so there's, you know, the, 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 the secondary need for it to be easy to clean is not, is, there's been a nuance there. And so I, I think that's the other, the other thing. I had an hour long conversation this week with a, a brush conveyor, uh, brush washer conveyor manufacturer. And, you know, that was the crux of the conversation was, yeah, we can make all sorts of changes to the design. Is it going to clean the produce the same way? You know? And so they do, they, they, they're focused on, um, delivering something of value to their customers. Um, our, our job is to make sure they, they can do that without also delivering something that takes value away in the form of produce safety risk. And the, that's the other thing I think that gets so often overlooked when we talk about this is the value. What is the value to a grower if you have a piece of equipment that is designed with sanitation in mind? What's the value? The value is it takes less time to clean. The value is use less detergent. The value is um, maybe you even get better end product quality. I was talking to a grower about some of the stuff because it's garbage in, garbage out, right? And if you have less garbage going in, you have less splits going through, you have less contamination being spread, that's better end product quality. I think that gets missed a lot. And I think too, when we talk to manufacturers, they talk about, okay, we're willing to make these changes, but it'll make it more expensive right? And, and we think the growers are willing to pay this much, whatever level this is, we don't think they'll pay for the extra enhancement of sanitary design. And I think what needs to be conveyed is very clearly, what are those both economic benefits and post-harvest benefits that growers can expect if they have a piece of equipment that's easier to clean? And I think that's very important. And I think that gets lost in a lot of our messaging. So I think those are, are really great points. Um, and I kind of want to build on that uh, into the, the next question where it talks about cleaning and sanitation as a larger or larger or larger issue in the industry, you know, sort of including sanitary design, but looking at clean, cleaning and sanitation, looking on economic impacts, looking at environmental monitoring, looking at sort of this larger issue in the produce industry, sort of tying back into some of those new requirements in 112 and what's in 117 with the GMPs. Um, and, and what you've been talking about with it being a gradient, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to kind of go two different ways here. Um, and the first way I want to go is one of the things we haven't talked about is something that we see a lot with growers, at least where I am, where they like to make modifications to their equipment themselves, right? Trevor Suslow once called it MacGyvering equipment, and I think that's the perfect description, right? Because they're trying to achieve, Betsy, some of those things you talked about better quality, less bruising, fewer splits. Um, how do you see the work you've done so far as working with those people trying to, to MacGyver some of the equipment themselves on their farm, right? This, is not, this isn't just a, a front end issue, it's also an issue of folks making modifications on site or, or taking equipment from one commodity to another commodity or from one purpose like a, a, the, a um, washing machine and the spin cycle to another purpose of using that spin cycle to dry um, produce. So, so how do we talk about sanitary design in that context and as an evolution there? Um, 
And I, I think I'll leave it at that because that's enough of a question to, to get us going. Well, with the washing machine, I think that's a softball to Chris Callahan for his uh, uh, discussion of, of things you've worked with growers to do from the greens washing perspective. I think that's a, a good example. I just want to take a moment. It seems like somebody was using the term MacGyvering in a negative connotation. Did I catch it, that right? I think it is a positive. I think okay. it's to show the innovativeness of growers ah, that might have unintended negative Unin consequences ah, okay. for food right. safety. Yeah, okay. no, I don't think MacGyvering is a negative term. Okay. I, think there, yeah. I think similar to MacGyver in general, there might be unintended negative consequences to the MacGyvering that has yeah, occurred yeah. on the TV show. Yeah. Just to yeah. Clear, there will be no bad-mouthing MacGyver on this podcast. <laughs> it's about the shrapnel, not the explosion. Chris. Just relax. <laughs> it, all, it all ends up okay in the end on every episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, right. So aftermarket modifications, um, you know, unintended consequences, absolutely. Um, the, and that's what, that was one of the guiding principles in coming up with these uh, um, hygiene design principles and also in having a tool that, that could be used to prompt um, those doing modifications uh, with specific questions about, I'm planning to do this, how, if I review this with some other people, what would it, what, how would it rate? How would it rate in terms of a, um, a cleanability index or, or something? So, um, you know, so the, the idea of how could these resources be used, I think one way is if you're looking at a line as a, as a team and note that there is a, um, a piece of cardboard that's been added to direct produce away from a sharp edge or something like that, right? Um, and that piece of cardboard is clearly not cleanable from um, the perspective of the team. Um, it might guide the discussion into why is that sharp edge even there? Can we address the root cause, which is the thing causing damage to the produce as it, as it rolls along, uh, rather than adding a deflection, a piece to deflect the produce away from it? Um, or, you know, is, is there something we can do with the speed uh, of, of, um, of the product without uh, limiting throughput or something? Um, so the, the idea of it all is to give people a foundation for thinking through specific instances and trying to get to root cause um, and also thinking through what the unintended consequences might be for, for making changes to Betsy's point, you know, we, we've applied these principles to the dreaded washing machine green spinner conversions, which for over a decade have just been really rough from a cleanability perspective. Um, and, you know, it really has helped to take, take that approach and flip it on its head and start, start over, start from scratch. I mean, it's a very accessible technology for many small and medium-sized growers uh, of leafy greens. And uh, we could look at it and say, why is anybody doing that? They shouldn't be doing that. Or we can look at it and say, how can we do this better? And, and that was the approach we took. And we went and we started and said, what are the problems with the wash machines that are being converted that are hard to clean? And it turns out, well, they weren't made to dry greens, right? So <laughs> let's start there. Um, and it, and the, and the deeper look into it also pointed out, well, there's all sorts of different washing machine types and they're not all the same. And so there are specific manufacturers and models 
that get you further up the curve in terms of cleanability if you if you start with them as opposed to taking something else and and doing a lot more work to it to make a basket fit um or or whatnot so um that's been the approach is taking the hygienic design principles and, and it gets you a little bit deeper into the design and, and conversion work. I, I think to get there though, you have to start with understanding that food safety is an issue and you have to think about what you're doing and you have to think about what are the risks associated with it. Right. And that's where I think, um, you know, when you mentioned in this question, Michelle, you said something about environmental monitoring. Well, People love to talk about environmental monitoring, but if you haven't actually put a cleaning and sanitation program into place, you're really not ready to do environmental monitoring. And I think that's when we talk about the evolution, that's the important part is to get growers to understand it all starts with housekeeping, right? It starts with organization. It starts with keeping non-produce handling tasks away from produce handling areas. Right. And then as you move, you can start tackling these different things, sanitary design, assessing equipment, developing cleaning and sanitation programs. So I think to, to me, that's the evolution. Um, that's the evolution that I see and, and the importance of bringing this topic up to growers so that they start looking around their operation and thinking, oh, is, is there a problem with the equipment I have? And as Chris said, um, I'm going to say both Chris's here because I've heard them both say this. Um, things like, uh, you know, will slowing the belt down stop that edge from being an issue, right? Is there a way to handle that that um, doesn't necessarily mean putting in that cardboard bridge or a piece of carpet, which is our all-time favorite um, item? Yeah, piece of cardboard is our favorite item. Followed closely by pool noodle is high on my list as well. I would um, go carpet, pool noodle, cardboard in that order, I think. Bingo. Yeah. I think bingo. that's a bingo. That's a bingo. Uh, on, the, on the left hand side of the card. <laughs> um, so just sort of to, to, to pull it all together, when you guys look at the literature that's out there and the work that's been done in this area and what's been published, are there any gaps that you find where we really need more research to benefit the produce industry? Or is this area really an area where we need to spend more time just on, on education? Um, I, I think there's a fair bit of research to be done, but maybe um, I'll start with research that's maybe a little unconventional in the context of academic research, I think there's a fair bit of work that we could do with technology transfer. So there are industries that have cleanable foams or encapsulated foam, for example, that could be a reasonable retrofit if you're having a bruising issue somewhere in a hopper or on a conveyor fence. Rather than putting adhesive foam on that, that's introducing a higher bridge point, we could put cleanable foam on there. So you know, so these these things have been a, these issues have been addressed in other industries um, to some degree. Whether they're cost effective or not, we need to look at that. But that's something I've learned is um, there are other industries we can draw from to 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 um, find better solutions than what are currently mainstream. And so that's not bench research, and that's you know, but that's transferring technology from one one industry to another. Um, 
it, it does strike me that there seems to be, and this is, you know, an engineer talking about biology, which is always dangerous to Betsy's earlier point, but it seems like there's endless work to be done on prevalence, survivability, and transmission of human pathogens. I mean, I'll kick it to Betsy and Chris and Michelle to tell me if I'm wrong on that one. Yeah, I think the other thing is, is that in produce, again, the diversity and um, sensitive nature, the, the bruisability, uh, produce is not like other commodities, right? And so I think that creates challenges and I think that opens up research opportunities. I also think um, different commodities, different post-harvest handling, right? Some commodities we wash, some commodities we don't. Um, I think so I think that adds to what Chris was talking about as well. I think there are definitely technologies that we need to look at to adapt to the produce industry, to see if they're affordable, to see if they work, to see if they increase or, or, or decrease risks. Um, and I think that's true of some sanitation technologies as well. So not only moving the product, but what are some other uh, sanitation practices that might be viable for our industry that um, we have not tried yet? So I think there's a lot of opportunity for research in this area, as well as education. But the question was about research. Well, yeah, let's ask it about education, though, as well. Where would you say the education gaps are? And I think you've identified some early on, but if you could identify what, the, what for you the biggest education gap is, what would that one be? What would, what would stand out as the biggest one, if you could pick one? For you can't see them, I'm watching them on video. They're both looking at the sky, unable to pick one. I'm just giving space. This is Betsy's question for sure. Oh, I don't think this is my question. I think the, the problem I'm having is biggest. What's my biggest educational? So if you have one, go, Chris. It'll take me a while to ponder. I, I think it's a pretty fundamental one, and, and maybe it varies across the industry in terms of scale or geography, but just still basic understanding of what cleaning means, what sanitizing means, what the differences are and what they look like in practice. It, I think that is a perpetual educational challenge. Um, and, I, I, and, and maybe, again, maybe it's limited to the folks I'm working with, but it sounds like maybe not. Um, so that's, I think that's a very fundamental one. I think the other educational challenges we have are, again, as we mentioned earlier, with a cohort we haven't really been thinking about before, and that's the manufacturers of the, of this stuff and the builders and the refrigeration folks and bringing them along on some of this and, and helping them understand, you know, how design elements or configurations uh, that they select are impacting things downstream um, in areas that they aren't necessarily thinking about. Um, those would be my, my two main areas. I think the nuts and bolts of this uh, in terms of how, how to approach equipment and how to get at it and, and clean it once you know what cleaning is and what sanitizing is and what tools uh, uh, you have available to you seems like it's doable. But I think having that basic understanding and appreciation of the need and then having equipment designed so it's accessible and cleanable to me are the two, two biggest. Yeah, and if I can build on that appreciation of need, I think where I was getting hung up is I completely agree with Chris in understanding what cleaning and sanitizing are, how they're different, how they're related, why they're related, right? I think that is, is for sure a point. I think where I'm going to go with my biggest issue is understanding where the risks lie and where that cleaning and sanitation 
adaptation step needs to be put into place. Um, so when I think about the growers that I've worked with, there's the growers that will sit back and not put a cleaning and sanitation program into place because they're not exactly sure what they're supposed to do, right? So they turn it over in their heads a little bit, turn it over and over again. And then there's the growers who just put a, and I'm going to put in quotations here, a cleaning and sanitation program in place, throw a little water on it, throw a little soap on it, rinse it off, throw some sanitizer on it, but it's not really getting at the problem they have. And so I, I agree with Chris. I think my biggest step is going to be understanding how to look at your operation and identify where is it most critical that my cleaning and sanitation steps be put into place and how do I do that effectively? I think those are both really excellent answers and I think they're both really hard things to, to, to teach, right? They're things that are hands-on and iterative to get us there. Um, so we're out of time. Um, uh, or almost out of time. Yeah, and I just wanted to give you both an opportunity to tell our listeners some advice. What's the take-home message with regard to this um, topic? Where, what, what should they know um, in, a, in sort of your parting thoughts? Um, I would say parting thoughts are this. Um, food safety needs to be part of your operation, just like every other part of your operation, whether it's looking at your markets or looking at your pest control or looking at any other part of your operation, food safety needs to be an integral part of growing, packing fresh produce. So if as a grower, you haven't really thought about it or haven't thought about it as an integrated part of your operation, that, that needs to happen. When you take that to the next step and you're talking about, okay, how do I establish a cleaning and sanitation program that is effective for my operation? What I want to say is no matter what size farm you are, small, medium, large, super duper small, since people seem to argue just how small they are, you can develop and implement an effective cleaning and sanitation program. And it takes taking a step back, looking around your operation, using tools that are out there. I think, um, you know, Chris's the fact sheet and the checklist um, that, uh, that he developed and I've, you know, I've helped edit, but is, is really his force um, is a great tool. I think there's fact sheets that help you understand the difference between cleaning and sanitizing. Why are they different? Why are they important to be used together? Why does cleaning always have to come first? You need to understand those concepts in order to, to get it done. But um, I have yet to come in contact with a farm or a farmer that cannot get this done. And I think it just takes that commitment. And um, so, so that's what I'd like to leave everybody with. It's doable. You can do it. And uh, there's lots of people and materials out there to help you do it properly. Yeah, on top of that, which I totally agree with, um, you know, in terms of having a, a taking the time to think about risk on your farm and thinking about how to implement if you don't have one, a cleaning sanitizing um, schedule and plan and standard operating procedures. You know, I think the key take home is know that there are resources available to help with specifically with hygienic design piece of this um, and the resources Betsy mentioned about um, cleaning and sanitizing. Uh, specifically for more information on, on the hygienic design resources we have, um, just go to go.uvm.edu slash hygienic design 
or HD package, and it'll bring you to the fact sheet and the evaluation checklist, as well as a new video, interactive video we just did that uh, walks you through a uh, rinse conveyor in an interactive video um, format, applying the hygienic design principles. Um, the other thing I'd say is, you know, one step at a time, bite-sized pieces, just use the, use the information and start in one place. And to Betsy's point, maybe it's the place with the highest risk um, from your perspective, or maybe it's the place where it, it might be the easiest to take that first step. Uh, either way, I think is valuable. Um, get comfortable with the, the ideas and the materials. And um, if anybody is stuck, uh, I'd be happy to hear from you. If anybody is trying to, to do a MacGyver move and wants a second MacGyver opinion, I'm also happy to hear from you. Well, perfect. Thanks, you guys, so much for spending time with us today and sharing all this fantastic information. Yeah, I agree. We couldn't uh, thank you enough. Um, and for all our listeners, we hope that this has helped you understand some of the science behind these different aspects of the produce safety rule. Um, you'll find those links that Chris mentioned and Betsy mentioned um, and the references that we've been talking about in our show notes. And if you do have any follow-up questions, please reach out to me um, or Michelle. And um, if they pertain to hygienic design, reach out to Betsy and Chris directly, if that's okay with you two. Yep. For sure. Great. All right. Well, as we mentioned initially, uh, our intent in this is to share some of the content uh, that we'd hope to present at the NASDA Produce Safety Consortium Educators Pre-Meeting Workshop. Uh, and we can't thank AFTO and NASDA enough for the support they've provided us as we put these together. If you enjoyed the content and format, please do let us, AFTO, and NASDA know. There are other topics you'd like to hear about in the future, either in this medium or at the next NASDA Consortium Educators pre-meeting workshop, or if you want to hear more from Chris and Betsy at that workshop, also do please let us know.